Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Hi, good morning. Woo, what a start. What a start. Right off the bat, my brain just froze. I'm going to cut it out, but it's you can tell even on the one I just did. You're spitting and sputtering, man. Yeah, so it is an early morning, but I've been up for quite some time, so I don't even have the excuse that my brain isn't quite ready to do this yet. So this week, it should be interesting because we're going to talk about things that always cause arguments, and that's change in government, because we have a bill out there that was passed that people keep calling the climate bill and which makes it something that we should take a look at but it's actually named the inflation reduction act so just like usual it says one thing and it does a little bit of what it says but there's a lot more to it than that well yeah i mean they have to name it something and and you they have found a long time ago that if you just put at the title of the bill what it's actually called not what it does but like the actual like number that it's filed under and stuff the actual title no one will bat an eye at it no one gives any thought to it no one even notices it ex- notices it exists and so they have to put some catchy title on it to get people behind it, to get you know to get people that'll vote for it and all this stuff. But I I don't, also don't understand why they do that because with some of these bills, you would almost think they wouldn't want people to read them because it hurts their agenda. Mm-hmm. Well, and, this one I'll tell you, you're not reading. Okay, it's 730 pages. 730 pages. It is 730 pages. Um. Okay, so did you know that when they put bills through Congress, more often than not, they do a non-present vote, which means there's a handful of each side there that votes on these things. And they do so many a day that most people, which Congress is paid, correct? It's like a job. Mm-hmm aren't even there to do their job but also the the idea that any congressman or woman has read this is is ridiculous i'm not saying they can't i mean i could read it but like a book that i would love to read that's let's say what 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 random number do i know harry potter the goblet of fire 734 pages i enjoy that book when i was in high school it took me four days to read it Mm -hmm. now that i have a job it would take me weeks and i enjoy it right which means i'll read it quickly it was a pretty, it was a, well, a pretty hefty bill because I did try to go through most of it. And most of this came from, uh, Sean had sent me a video from Hank Green, who was very excited about this bill. And I understand for which reasons now that I've taken a look, but because of that, you know, me being a fan of Hank Green, I wanted to go take a look myself also. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's very interesting things embedded in these bills and there always is no one can ever actually just create a bill that has a purpose and it's a singular purpose without some other weird attachments to it and those attachments might be another reason why the name is the inflation reduction act because if it was billed as a climate act it may not have passed Okay. So real basic stuff on the the side stuff that isn't climate. They changed the corporation the the minimum tax rate to 15%, creating the you know this flat rate tax. There's a prescription drug reform, you know, capping out of pocket and stuff like that. There's IRS enforcement was added to it. The Affordable Care Act subsidy extension which is really There's not a huge subsidy for anybody who's been looking at that since they took away the bite uh, back in 2016. And the energy security and climate investments, which Mm -hmm. is primarily what we're talking about. And there's there's a significant, and I kind of want to just say this up front, there's a significant amount of investment of this $370 billion to be spent over the next 10 years that goes to renewable energies. 
So I want to say that out loud. There's things I don't like about it, and sometimes that gets me going. But there is a significant amount of investment going into some of these changes. I want to say that clearly before I start, because there there are some things I just simply dislike. Okay. So the goal was with the climate portion was that we were going to draw down, they say, 40% of our emissions by 2030, bringing us back to 2005 numbers. So emissions, we're bringing emissions down that far, but it only takes us back back in time to 2005 production levels, if you will, of of emissions into our atmosphere. Okay. So that's what this bill is designed. And I think they assessed that it would do about 41%. They were hoping to get to 50%, which would be highly aggressive for a country this size. I just personally don't know how they get there with what I see in the bill. Okay. Some of the things that we should look at are they reactivated a bunch of old credits. So there used to be a credit for electric cars that if you purchase an electric car that had a certain you know battery capability for distance and driving you could have up, up to a $7500 tax credit put to your bill but okay. there was only so many allowed i think it was like 200,000 or something so in that period of time people ate them up pretty quickly and then it just became a line item that you couldn't use because the credits had basically been used up 200,000 across the country some yeah so in a country with 330 million people 10% being 33 million 1% being 3.3 million, 1% of 1% doesn't even cover that. Right. So it didn't okay. take it didn't take very long before all of those credits were eaten up. So okay. now they have opened those credits and there is no limit to them. So going out and getting an electric car that fits within that criteria can offer you a significant tax credit. Okay, that that is irrelevant to a huge portion of the population, but okay, we can't afford well, electric cars. And it, you know, like I said, it's one of those things for those who are because remember, we in the United States we sell millions of cars, for millions sure. of brand new cars every year. Absolutely. And if they can convert some of that through this credit or make it more cost effective, it's a subsidy for that new kind of vehicle. Mm-hmm. which is what we do for new technology, no matter what. If it's something we want people to do, we subsidize it till it becomes mainstream and then we pull back the subsidy. It's just how mm-hmm. it works. So that become they open that back up, which is nice in some case. The part that I really don't like of what I see here, they, they invested significantly in rooftop solar, allowing people with ho- people in households to be able to go out and get discounted rooftop solar. They created a green bank. I think it was $27 billion so that this the, the federal government can give it to the states and the states can use it like a bank where you still pay a low interest rate and it helps build basically a bank for green projects. Uh, okay, so catch me up real quick. Is solar mm-hmm. become cheap enough, like affordable enough to where it's realistic to put it on your house? And Both. does it produce enough power? Both solar and wind on large scale are cheaper than coal and natural gas. No, no, not large scale. I mean, small scale. Like if I wanted to put solar panels on my roof, like I have a decent mm-hmm. sized home, like how much would my investment be? How much would I have to pay out of pocket to have that done? So it depends on, of course, the size of the roof, who does it, all those fun things. And I don't usually tell you a dollar amount because that's different from state to state. I can tell you a return on investment is usually about seven years. Okay, but I'm asking for a dollar amount since we're in the same state. Well, in Michigan, if you were putting it on my house, it would probably cost about $7,000. That's actually not to do the whole the whole roof? To do my roof, both sides, and my garage. 
to pump pump it back into the grid and get a credit or an offset get an offset which would offset this household at about 40 or 50 percent so you can't say you're off the grid you get that reduction and it will take about seven years to pay itself back i would so seven grand for your house so probably 10 for mine because my your house is taller than mine but my house is you know longer Mm -hmm. so it's not horrid i thought it'd be a lot more money but anyways Sorry, did it rail it? Keep going. Well, and this bill will actually reduce that cost because they're going to incentivize people to do it. The more that are sold, the more you get back. Plus, it has kind of a tiered give back system mm-hmm. so that if you buy panels from the United States, mm-hmm. you get more than if you buy them from another uh, a country outside the United States. So if you buy U.S.-made panels and have mm-hmm. a U.S. company install it, you'll get more incentives to do so, which should create more purchases, which drives down a cost. Okay. So there is some of that stuff that is really quite nice. Solar, to me, is one of those very important inputs that I think has to happen. Solar and wind have their purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of things that I... Okay, so I do like the fact that they increase and renewed tax credits for power plants, but they left it open. It was supposed to be primarily to keep nuclear plants that are functioning, functioning for the period of time that we need them because some of them are starting to get close to shutdown. Okay. But it also included what was called clean hydrogen, which I'm not really sure what that is. Hydrogen is primarily a clean energy source as long as you're getting your electric in a clean way because it's just electrolysis. And then that same money is spent on carbon capture storage, which is a subsidy to fossil fuel companies. So you have a chunk of money that can go to keeping some of the nuclear plants open, which, yes, we all fear a nuclear meltdown. They are rare, but they are a clean energy source that is temporary minus waste. I I don't think, okay, I shouldn't say think, I don't fear a nuclear meltdown. I think that when they started this march towards green, if they would have kept developing nuclear energy this whole time, we wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, nuclear is kind of a, it will be a a middle ground to clean because it's a, a zero emission, high waste concern energy source that can get you over to that clean side. Once you have these other pieces developed, you can then decommission it. Because you can actually run a fully clean grid with with a handful of different clean options with hydrogen being your variant. Because that's the problem. It has to be able to be turned up and down. And hydrogen, you can do that. Well, and that's kind of my thought on it. It's one of those things everyone, everyone argues about. Like there's a huge amount of people that it's like enough is never enough. So no matter what the answer is, it's like they're just looking to have a problem. And so with the people that really actually want to go green and they want to have clean energy, they're actively trying to improve things and to find ways to to make it, you know, better for our world and to make everything last, make it more sustainable. Then there's a segment of them that are just angry and just nothing is good enough. And like, well, like when I look at nuclear, I, I mean, I think nuclear is better than fossil fuels, in my opinion. I don't, I'm ignorant. I don't know much about it. It just seems like it would. And I also look at like the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't, there's going to be a negative side to no matter what we choose, even, even with, with wind, right? So you have to use a little bit of fossil fuels as a lubricant for the thing that it's, you can't get around it. There is going to be parts of no matter what we do that are going to be less than ideal, but that's because in this world, literally nothing is perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. Right. Well, and all we can do is the best we can do. We just have to agree on what that is. Being the enemy of good because it's not perfect is paralyzing. I recently 
was kind of joking around with dad when he was going on and on about not liking electric and how he'll never change. And he doesn't have to, honestly, let's yeah. face it. He won't have to. But I said, Oh, you're the horse guy. Cause that's my new response. Because when, when the automotive industry first came out, they were met with nonstop criticism by horse owners where you, you can't go where there's not a road. I can go anywhere I want to go. I can find some water and my horse is good to go. What happens when you run out of gas? It's all the same arguments. We have not evolved in any way. No, it's- of course not. It's 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 the people that are ingrained in their current culture. And because I, and I haven't said this in weeks, people fear what they don't understand. They, they may, yeah, you sigh at me all you want. It's true. And they find ways to pick and poke fun at something new and strange. If I remember correctly, and I, I want to say that there is an old newspaper clip, and you'd have to Google it, where they talk about the, the streets being filled with horse manure because of horse-drawn carriages. It was like something they were afraid of. And I think it's hilarious since horses are, I mean, the, the earliest mode of transportation in terms of walking. I mean, you ride an animal right. or an animal pulls you. But people are always going to find ways to make fun of or poke fun or disassemble a good idea. They just, they're scared of it because they don't understand it. Yeah. And then it, it's the same process. So anytime anybody kind of gets on me about that, I just go, don't worry. You're just kind of following the same thought process. It will move. You will move with it. It's how, how it always works. Yeah. As long as we're humans. You know, people with whale oil rejecting electricity, it's all the same. And now you get to a point where you can't, most of society couldn't live without electricity. Yeah. But at one point, people used to put buckets underneath their outlets in the fear that the electricity would ooze out. Well, they don't—they didn't understand what it was. Right, and that's—and was... that's exactly it. Is not understanding, and that's where a lot of things fail through explanation. Like, I'm as I'm looking at this, I love the fact that there's so many extra credits over the next ten years for wind and solar. But they also added advanced geothermal, which we know is fracking. Mm-hmm. And they also added battery storage and biogas, which anybody who listens to this show has heard me rant. If you burn, it doesn't matter if you burn old carbon or new carbon, you're burning carbon. (laughs) So to me, biogas is a waste, an absolute waste. That stuff needs to be captured back in the ground, just like it has been for millions of years. It does not need to be burned. We have plenty of sources out there that don't require burning. Between kinetic energy of water movement and or wind and solar and the manipulation of, you know, hydrogen. We have plenty of ways to do this. It's just a matter of getting there. So I don't like that there's little subsidies added in for fossil fuel companies because that's all carbon capture storage is, is more money to these groups that want to continue to burn carbon so they can continue to burn. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. So there's significant chunks of that that are dedicated to carbon capture and biofuels. Matter of fact, that talks about biofuels sustainability through aviation. Again, if you're burning a fuel, you're burning a fuel. Burning a slightly better fuel is still burning a fuel. We have things like Hyperloop where you can go from one city to another that would actually be faster than flying, but we're not putting that money into developing these new technologies We're trying our best to make the old technologies slightly better so people accept them. That Mm -hmm. is not that is not functioning for climate. That's that's just trying to pay industries to stay alive. 
And that's where I get upset on some of this stuff because it is much like the infrastructure bill. The infrastructure bill worked on old infrastructure instead of creating new infrastructure. Instead of Mm -hmm. designing new technology, it was a duct tape of the old. And in some cases here, although I love the investment, don't get me wrong, these investments are going to help move some of these technologies well past coal, well past gas. Mm -hmm. But... They put a ton of money in there for the people they're going to get rid of someday. Yeah, but I I mean, it's literally it's one of those things where how do you change a culture without explaining to your population what you're doing, actually explaining it? One of the biggest issues we we always dance around is, is just flat out ignorance. And when I say ignorance, I'm not that's not actually a dig at anyone. There's no shame in being ignorant to something. There's no shame in not knowing it. There's a shame in willful ignorance, mind you. But. There's tons of things that, as a population, we it just works. We don't know how it works. It just works. So why does it matter to the average person how the lights come on as long as they hit the button and they do? The fact of the matter is, if, if, the, if the government wants support with passing legislation to move in the right direction, they're going to have to educate the public, and they're not ready for that. Well, they're not good at it, is, is part of that. They're, they're just not, not good at anything. Well, they're good at some things, but they're not good at that. Another thing on here that I found very interesting is $1.5 billion is going to reduce methane leaks. So remember, what was it, 10 years ago? I think I think we had a discussion and we may have even spoke about it on, the, on one of our shows. There's a whole documentary about methane. See, methane burns cleaner than coal, mm-hmm. but methane as itself is a high energy greenhouse gas. It holds or stores seven times more energy or it is seven times more potent as a greenhouse gas than CO2. So when it leaks, it is seven times worse than if we were over here burning coal. Well, at least in Michigan over the last 10 years, we have built this massive network for natural gas. We have spent, I think, yeah, we did talk about this in one of the first, uh, the first shows, maybe season two. And so we're talking about that. How much does it cost? How much energy does it take to build out this whole network to get this small gain? Mm -hmm. Well, they never even got the small gain because the system leaked and they kept saying, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. I mean, there was times that Jamie and I went over to Clay's house and he has a substation next to his house and you could smell it. Mm -hmm. because there's additives to it, of course, for safety. But you could pull up to a corner and we are three or four lots away and could smell the station. But year after year after year, the answer was they don't leak. They don't leak. They don't leak. $1.5 billion will be given to these companies to stop what they say isn't it doesn't exist, Mm. which means they've been leaking this whole time. Significantly leaking, creating greenhouse gases far in in excess. They got a windfall of money to build a system, build a network, and now they're going to get more to fix what they didn't actually build correctly. Well, my assumption is that in order to leak on paper, it has to exceed an amount of what they would term it as an acceptable loss. And that is, okay, for starters, acceptable loss with something so deadly probably shouldn't exist, but it's just me. It seems like it's kind of counterproductive. Uh, my my issue is that, like, take natural gas, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know anything about natural gas. I'm pretty ignorant, but I, I know something about charging systems with gases and fluids for, like, our comfort, like, I don't know, air conditioning. And in those systems, which are all pipes and blah, 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 blah. They can wear out over time where they just develop microscopic holes that are super teeny, 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 tiny that you can't see with your eye, but they do leak. And Mm -hmm. when they leak, they cause your system to 
obviously produce waste, but also overwork and stuff like that. Now, I don't know thinking about natural gas, but if it can happen with my central air, which is relatively small and protected with my home, I could assume the chances of it happening underground are probably pretty good, let alone, you know, these big, these big stations. And I don't know, I don't know much about methane. I just know that like it happens in other things. So it's not impossible. If, if it's already happening, then it will continue to happen. There's no stopping the league. It's a bad design. It just is. I mean, they need to, they need to come up with something new. Right. Right. Well, and that's, so I complained about it way back when, and, and I know complaints are worth nothing, but they just verified the complaint. Mm-hmm. So all the things that were foreseen when they poured all that money into it, there it is. So to me, when you're going to spend this kind of significant money for this kind of significant change, you do it to the things that are going to replace those things, not duct tape mm-hmm. those. Those need to be shut down. Another weird I'm going to just say angering portion of the bill. And I'm going to bring up a small section here just so I can read, just read something. The legislation also includes a provision that tethers offshore wind leasing to oil and gas extraction. Over a 10-year period, the Interior Department will be prohibited from issuing leases for offshore wind development unless at least 60 million acres, the size of Michigan, has been leased to oil and gas in the previous year. So oil and gas are the only ones allowed to do the the wind farming, is what you're telling me? So they cannot approve offshore development for wind unless they've already allocated. So oil and gas gets to pick theirs first, have a year head start before they can even approve a lease for large-scale offshore wind projects. So they're protecting their homies. Yes, very so, much so. So there's they're, they're 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 like pretty much stopping any type of new company from coming on the scene because it's a protected industry. The the bill also requires the interior department to offer a lease at least 2 million acres of public land. Remember, this is something I've already been upset about. 2 million acres of public land or more than double the size of Rhode Island for oil and gas drilling as a prerequisite to any renewable energy development on public lands. They are quite literally tying the growth of clean energy projects to how much they get to do oil and gas first. Um, Which now means that all that public land that, and I have to go through, and I apologize for using president's names that Obama protected, that a massive chunk of it, if not all of it, was reverted back during the next administration. This administration has gone even a step further in using even more public lands open for drilling for oil and gas. I don't really have much to say on this because I don't know enough to really have a stance on it. I have a lot of things I'd like to say and lots of questions that would cause a possible long-term political conversation that I don't want to have. All I am going to say is that in theory, if they're writing a bill like this, well, is the idea behind it other than, you know, hiding the grape um, to open up our land for drilling. So it would bring the cost of gas down. Is that the idea of producing more oil? Then we would reduce the cost to the public. Is that, is that where they're going with this? Or is it literally just they're looking out for big oil? I mean, like, what without getting too far down this rabbit hole dumb it down for me well and okay so here's the deal it isn't the amount of oil that is produced that reduces our cost we actually have a tremendous amount of open space it's like the oil companies are just collecting how many lease agreements they can get without using them it's the refineries 
if you don't have enough refineries, you create a bottleneck that keeps the price high. Plus, we are an OPEC nation, which means that we function. Our petroleum doesn't actually come just to us. It goes into the open market and we buy some of it back. So as OPEC is a collective organization who sets barrel pricing. Isn't it, doesn't it, that doesn't make any sense. So why would we pull our oil into the market and then buy it back if we're pulling it here. It's part of the OPEC agreement. We are That's part of stupid. it. Well, it, what it did is it allowed us to work with the Middle East. It allowed us to function oh, as a partner this is in the about Middle bringing East. bringing freedom to the world. Gotcha. <laughs> so we are an OPEC nation. So when someone says drill more here, it doesn't does that does not translate into a lower price. That's an isolationist argument. So what I don't like is it's it removes the protections that as far back as Teddy Roosevelt were created on our public lands. This is basically nature's safe space. And we continue to shrink it more and more and only keep the land that is not viable for business. That is not always viable for nature either. So that is where I have these problems. We are continuously auctioning off public lands from and they they do this like in the Build Back Better bill to get a they got like a fifteen percent kickback spiff back to mm-hmm. the federal government back to that whole argument that people think governments are supposed to make money they're not a business and that's why they do it they're selling off these chunks of land and when these rigs go on those properties it will never be the same now let me take that back it will in hundreds of thousands of years but when we're likely gone but. In our lifetime, we have lost that space. And this bill does the exact same thing. Now, will they? It doesn't always mean they'll drill. Sometimes just getting the lease feels like a victory for the oil company. They own the land. They they may not necessarily drill. Well, yeah, because if, but if, but if they have the lease, really, what it effectively does is stop someone else from drilling there. And right. that's what it is. It isn't a I want all the land. It's oh, I don't want you to have. So there, but it increases the risk because as you can see in the rest of this bill, as clean energy is growing, it. Forces it funnels money into fossil fuels. It well, funnels what, the ability to grow into fossil fuels. Well, what it does is ensure that the same people are going to be in power the whole time. What it ensures is that so you, you you're now giving fossil fuels the first opportunities, requiring us to give them the first ability to convert over into green energy instead of letting new companies come in and kick the old guys out. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's really what it is. This is protecting their voting base or I shouldn't say their voting base. This is protecting their money is what it is. It's it's terrible and conniving and I don't like it. Well, and before I get us you know, into a closing state, I do want to, again, bring up, this is going to create a ton of investment into clean energies. It's going to put a ton of investment into the transition for electric vehicles with all of the automotive industry pushing into that direction. They're going to need these subsidies. They're going to need these, these incentives for people to buy to help them get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are like my age or older and you're going, I don't want to do that. Don't worry. You don't have to. There will be internal combustion engines your whole life. They will just slowly dwindle and gas prices will increase. But that's, this is really going to help make some of these transitions. What I didn't like is what was embedded. The other part that I found disturbing is there's all this money going into these new technologies, which are fantastic, but nothing into resilience. We have already created climate change. Ask Puerto Rico. It's going to be far more common for disasters to hit our shores, 
far then they're going to happen far more often at a far at a, at a much stronger intensity mm-hmm. that doesn't get to change that is already happening and it's going to continue to happen as we ramp down until we hit a cooling phase but this bill spends 370 billion dollars over 10 years and none of this is for resilience in our infrastructure you know increasing levy strength and for me the biggest thing is revamping the electrical system across this country. There's money in there for increased electrical lines, but that's just more of the same. There isn't for completely changing the grid and going Mm -hmm. to that microgrid smart structure. There just isn't any of it. So now we're going to push a whole bunch of things electric into this archaic grid. And when it crashes, all those horse people that we were talking about earlier are going to go, see, I told you so. Electric cars made it so you can't run your air. When that does not have to be the reality. It was very short-sighted. Looking at grossly increasing inputs, but not creating resilience on the backside at all. Because there isn't. Yeah, but you got to realize that when it comes to humans... This is not just true with us. I mean, all humans. We're one of our our superpowers is that we're highly adaptive, which is true. Humans are super adaptive, but we are not preventative at all. We are, hey, there's a problem coming. We're going to pick up the pieces and rebuild it better. But you don't rebuild it better. You rebuild it to the way it was, which was already destroyed. Everyone that heard that didn't see my little air quotes (laughs) on the camera. My point is that we're not preventative. We're not at all. We, 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 we wait until terrible things happen and we go, oh, God, why does happen? We freak out and we cry and then politicians fight. But like a lot of the problems can be seen by anyone that has any kind of education or that has already lived through. You talk about levees and stuff like I remember Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina. I remember, you know, thousands of people being displaced and moved all over the country because of terrible things like it it, it's happened before it'll happen again like it or not if you if you're going to be a part of this world you're living in nature we're a country with water on both sides yes we're landlocked top and bottom but we got huge oceans we you know storms exist like it's just part of living on a planet so it's not something that i think that people ever going to learn from honestly it's sad but i think that's going to continue to go the same way i really do and and as these things intensify because it isn't a secret they're going to intensify we have seen them already intensify Mm -hmm. there has to be an investment to resilience because it doesn't matter how many clean inputs you have to an electrical system that doesn't work Mm mm-hmm that doesn't have the ability to store, that doesn't have the ability to balance itself, and that any of these storms, right now, a squirrel can knock out a region. Yep. And it has happened. They blamed it on solar flares, but a squirrel did it. Large chunk of Canada and most of the uh, East Coast and parts of the Midwest. The fact is, is that if you're going to invest all of these things, it's like I invested a massive amount on my deck but I didn't bother to flatten the land, you know, or I bought a, a shed and just threw it in a spot. There's That's what I get the feel from some of this. It's, it's one of those things about government that's always bothered me. You have all of these people, all of these intelligent people in a room, and no one comes up with, hey, we should probably also defend it. We should also create the resiliency to our network. And that I found to be disturbing. Disturbing or disheartening? Ah, uh, well... Actually, a little bit of both. It's very mm-hmm. disheartening on the science side, but it's a little disturbing when you have someone like my mother who cannot live in humidity. 
She can't. Her heart does not have that capability. If the power goes out, she gets in the car because she cannot breathe in a humid environment. There are millions of people across this country that if we lost that grid, die. And that's no, I, a, that's an that is one of the main jobs of a civilization or a, or a country is to help keep their people alive. It isn't that person's job to go get better. It well, is I mean, their it is the country's job to build an infrastructure to protect their people. In theory, you wouldn't even think it's a job more so than a purpose because without the people, there is no country. <laughs> well, and so I guess in it from what you said, I'm both disheartened and a little upset. Because that really leaves us exposed still. When, you, when you're capable of putting together a, a bill that can be passed with that much money involved, both on an infrastructure bill and now an inflation slash climate bill, and none of them address the new technologies needed, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Well, it is a problem. And I think part of it is greed and part of it is when they write these bills, I, I would be willing to bet when they write these bills, that the first draft on them is probably far more extensive and they whittle it down to the bare bones just to get it passed. And granted, 700 pages is pretty big, but I mean, at some point they probably looked at it and went, well, because maybe, you know, optimistically thinking maybe they originally did have something in there for that. Maybe someone looked at it and went, well, we got to, we got to take that out. We got to try to, you know, cut down the cost on this. Or I would like to believe that there are people out there that look at it and, and go, well, we need to have this, 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 and this to make this work or to, you know, allocate for a natural disaster because disasters are going to happen. It's just, uh, it's part of life, unfortunately. And I don't want to forget this piece, but nearly a quarter of the money spent here is economics. It is that in order to be a, I'm, I'm so used to saying premium, so I'm going to use it, a premium supplier in all of these new green technologies and stuff. You have to produce in the United States. You must have a wage over a certain number. Like you must offer certain benefits. In other words, we're going to get you paid a lot more, but you're going to increase the quality of life of everybody who works for you. So there is a significant amount of money being injected in that sense. I think it was like $37 billion just in manufacturing tax credits so that companies can build solar panels here, companies can build wind turbines here, those kinds of things. So they purposely threw large chunks of money back within the country's borders so that you didn't take that money and go buy your panels from China or India. So there is a lot of that, but they do regulate how much the employees get paid, which always increases the waterline of quality of work. So there is more pieces to this. This is a 730 page bill. I'm telling you the moral of the story that I have pulled from it. And, but there are hundreds of these little details that, that, are, that are embedded into this bill like that, that will help the American worker, that will help uh, produce or create some companies to put uh, a facility here in the United States, which will add a few more jobs. So there are some of those things. But in the amount of time that we have to discuss it, there's no way I can hit them all. And I, I can tell you, I didn't memorize them all. I would hope not. It's 730 pages. Which is painful, painful to read. Although I am excited that there is money going to these new technologies. It's the next step because, like I said, government's job is to subsidize the next step. And that's what they're doing. They're subsidizing where we're going for, to slowly get rid of where we've been. Well, I mean, you got to figure, like, when you're – okay, so I'm going to use an analogy that hope people can understand. 
when you when you're walking in the mud it's a slow walk slow trudging through the mud every step further you get a little bit more out but you're still going to leave muddy footprints for a long ways till your Mm -hmm. shoes are clean so it's going to take time to get out of the mess we're in and it's going to take steps that are going to involve things that we're not a fan of or that we think could have been better but i guess as long as someone's going in the right direction we shouldn't be so critical on some of the things they did or didn't cover could it be better it can always be better there's always going to be people that point that out because nothing's ever going to be perfect but if they're trying even for you know if they're greenwashing it trying to go the right direction for the wrong reasons or whatever they're going the right direction so yeah some of these are greenwash pieces but i think a lot of it was our current political process requires favors and Mm -hmm. my guess is the things that are irritating the heck out of me were given to a team so that we could get these other pieces Mm -hmm. is purely all it is. So keep that in mind when you're looking at things like this. Yes. I just went on some some pretty, pretty small rants here about things I didn't like about it, but it is going to get us a ton further. And after a period of time, once these green technologies can bear some weight, Mm -hmm. the drawdown on the other side will continue. It is still fossil fuels is still a dying industry. They will always exist but they will never exist at the level they do today. And we are in that process. And I'm hoping at some point someone realizes, and I and I selfishly hope that they're drawing up a resilience bill as we speak, and we just don't know it. Because that is a piece that is missing from all of these puzzles. That's not selfish. I mean, it's, it's humanitarian, Michael. Yeah, well, it just, that's the, that's the next one. If it wasn't in infrastructure and if it wasn't in climate, it needs to be, especially as we're seeing storms come through again. And again, pray for all the people in Puerto Rico who are going through yet another disaster. So Yeah, and really what this is, these are really just coastal problems. Not that we don't have issues here, but I mean, like we're kind of secluded here in Michigan. While we do have big windstorms, we have bad snow and stuff like that, we don't deal with half the catastrophes they do on the coasts. Well, and again, uh, one of the next shorts coming out is about the drought in the West. It is not the only disaster. Disasters can happen in many with many different faces. Mm-hmm. An extreme drought is the next one coming, That, which is another problem with commercialized water. But that's a different show for a different argument. So <laughs> thank you all so much for taking some time out of your day to listen to us. We greatly appreciate you joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or on social media. If you'd like to help Realistic Sustainability, click the follow button. I know you won't always listen to our angelic voices, but you'll always know when there is a new show ready and waiting for you. You can also, you can always click a like or even just leave us a five-star review. Everybody knows I like to read them. It's my thing. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy when nice things are said. And plus, you might even convince someone else to listen to us. Last, but certainly not least, if you feel like this show brings a bunch of value to you and in, in your life, then you can actually help us out uh, financially also. You can support Realistic Sustainability by going to greeningyourlife.org forward slash podcast, where you can do a simple single donation, or anchor.fm by just searching Realistic Sustainability, where they will allow you to do a monthly donation, even as low as 99 cents a month. And for those of you who already do, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate it. Again, we appreciate all of your support, no matter where it comes from and how it's shown. And remember, we only get together each week just to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thank you again for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. 
and we will see you next week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know, but I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So, if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future.